Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Whole Cluster Conversation. I just wanted to do a really quick shout out. I'm having a wall removed in my house this week, and my good friend is allowing me to record from her closet this week. So thanks so much. You know who you are. (laughs) With that, um, Haley, you want to introduce our guests for the day? I do. So many of you guys know that in a past winery life, I worked at Talaya Wine Company in the Boise area. And while there, I got to work with a super awesome team of people and a true event wizard, Emily Balif. She runs all the events at Talaya, private booked events, in-house events, seasonal uh, things, release parties. She, I feel like, has it down to a science. Since it's kind of the slow time of year at most wineries, uh, and many people are starting to fine-tune their calendars for the upcoming summer and busy season, I thought it would be a great time to catch up with her and learn how to run amazing wine and winery events. And also, I'm really surprised it took us this long to get her on because she is married to Ukiah, so he'll have a lot of fun editing this week. (laughs) Emily, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, where you work, what you do, just all that fun info about you um, and maybe even just some info for people up at the top of how they can find you. I'm Haley. This is Ashley. We are Whole Cluster Conversation. So I work at Talaya Wine Company in Garden City, Idaho, and I've been the event coordinator here for going on seven years now. So that's looked like a lot of different things. But right now it's, um, like Haley said, a lot of like winery hosted events where we're selling tickets for people to attend. Um, And then I'm booking the space for private events as well and kind of everything in between. I know that. Google is wonderful, but uh, that's taliawine.com, I believe. Yeah, taliawine.com. We'll put a bunch of links to the show notes too, like usual, you guys. But um, taliawine.com, you can also find them at taliawine on Facebook and I think at taliawine on Instagram as well. Also, I'll say Garden City is a fun city that's surrounded by Boise for all those that don't know. <laughs> right. Yes, it's about- like a neighborhood of Boise. Yeah. Yeah, we're about 10 minutes, five to 10 minutes from downtown Boise. So really close. Emily, how did you get into the wine world? Did you have an aha moment or a reason that you gravitated towards wine? Uh, Honestly, I got into the wine world kind of hesitantly. (laughs) I was more of a beer drinker at the time. Um, And someone, an acquaintance that I knew, so, well, a friend from um, a previous job had kind of randomly reached out to me. At the time, she was managing um, coiled wines and sharing space with Talaya Wine. Um, And so when Talaya Wine was hiring, she, you know, it'd been a couple of years probably since we had talked, but she reached out, sent me the link to apply and was like, this just made me think of you. And Um, so it was, it was definitely unexpected. And as I was reading through the job description, it was kind of all over the place. Um, I wasn't quite sure, you know, as a small business is often all over the place. So I wasn't (laughs) quite sure what the role was going to look like. I was a little hesitant about it, but I went to go and meet with the owners anyway. And just 
fell in love with them. They were just such great people and doing something they were passionate about. And that made it easy for me to, to get into the industry. And since, of course, I have gotten much more into wine and <laughs> <laughs> moved away from beer a little bit. But uh, yeah, just I, sometimes. Never, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> I never really um, saw myself as being in the wine world. And to be completely honest, I kind of judged the wine world a little bit and thought it was on the pretentious side before I got into it. And uh, the owners at Talaya made that, made that really easy for me to see that it doesn't have to be that way. And it's really approachable. And, and is there a, a reason or a, something that drew you to the event side of the business? I think that really it came down to balance for me. I was looking for, I came from the customer service industry. I had worked in the restaurant um, industry. And I knew that being on my feet all day and talking to people all day was a little intense you know, <laughs> after, after a 12-hour shift. And so I was really interested in spending more time at a desk job, but I didn't want to go full-time desk job at the same time. And I had had other roles since the customer service industry where I was sitting at a desk and um, that yeah. wasn't that wasn't ideal for me. So um, the idea of running events and getting the best of both worlds was really interesting to me, getting some of that social interaction and being on my feet, um, making decisions on the fly, but also, you know, getting a lot of the admin work in as well. Just kind of getting into things, uh, what are two or three things that you think will make or break events? I think that one of the biggest things is marketing. Uh, when, you know, I think we've had to learn the hard way with some events. If we don't really focus on the way that we want the event to come across in the event description and in the graphic and the way that we're promoting it, um, it won't, it doesn't feel cohesive to the customer either. And so we either won't sell tickets or people will come and expect something completely different and so really focusing on that and taking a step back after we compile all those materials before the tickets go live and asking ourselves, are we really portraying here what this event is going to be? And is it really clear as possible? That's kind of interesting because when you first said marketing, I thought like, oh, just like doing marketing. But it's also what you were saying is like actually like making sure you're telling people what the event is as part of the marketing, which is very interesting to think about. Yes. And what you mentioned is obviously a huge side of it too, like getting it out in front of people and selling those tickets that way. But yeah, I've, um, lately just with, we've been, we've been kind of going through that is like, it's interesting how you know what the event's going to be and you can um, portray it in the way that you think makes sense. But then the customer will come up with something completely different in their head. So just trying to keep all of that nice yeah. and cohesive. Mm -hmm. I have a follow-up question. Okay, so I just put on like a huge event for my work with a plant sale. And I know that I, as part of that, was kind of doing exactly what you were saying of like trying to say, okay, this is what to expect. But I felt like it was always hard because I didn't want to like put out too much messaging. So I'd love to hear about how you kind of balance that like telling people, but also not like overwhelming people with like 
You don't need a five paragraphs of description. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great question because the other thing that happens, short description or long, people don't want to read it. And they just... Yes, that is 100% accurate. Nobody reads the signs. (laughs) So I think something we have learned that has become really important for us is our reminder emails for events. Um, So we'll try to keep the description for the event itself pretty brief. Um, But then, you know, like a couple weeks out, maybe we'll send more of like a teaser email to say like, the event's coming up. We're so excited. Here's what to expect. And then the hope is that they, since it's coming, you know, at different times in smaller chunks, that people are going to read through those. Once somebody's committed, then just getting the idea in their head of what to actually expect. Yes. Cool. Have you used like other forms like, I don't know, Instagram stories or like YouTube videos or other um, ways to communicate with people in that? that medium as well, just because people don't read things? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think probably the the biggest thing that we've used outside of just emails would be social media. And so I think that's something we can do more of, we should be doing more of. But, you know, anytime there's an opportunity for like, um, for example, when a chef brings over a pairing for us to try with our wine, Pre-event, obviously, we should be taking a photo of that and saying, hey, here's a sneak peek at the menu for this upcoming event and that kind of thing. I think that can be a really good tool as well. Cool. I just thought this is a great way to like kind of give some people some fun pointers as well. Uh Yeah. Yeah. And um, so the other thing I was going to say for something that can make or break an event, definitely staffing. Um, So, and it can be one of those tough things that's, you know, it can be really challenging to predict, but you always want to be on the heavier side when it comes to staffing. And, you know, when you're in the moment and things are getting crazy, there's nothing you can do to get more people there. So (laughs) anything you can to staff appropriately in advance. And then worst case, if you don't need people, you can always cut them loose a little bit early, thank them for being there. But, um, you know, there's nothing worse than being at an event and having the team be frazzled because they can't keep up. And then the customers pick up on that and it impacts their experience. So Mm -hmm. I'd say that's another really big one. That's a great point. I love it. I'm going to go a little bit on a tangent from our uh, discussion points because I know a little secret that Talia has after working there for so many years. Um, And I think a lot of people in the wine industry probably haven't thought about this, but set up and tear down for your really big events of the year, like release events can be when you need 20 people there, but you only need those 20 people for two hours in the morning and then two hours at the very end of the event. So how do you deal with um, like not, you don't want to have those 20 people there the entire time. And Talia had a really great thing. There was a local um, group uh, that reached out and said, hey, we'd really like to work with you Maybe you guys, we could have like a symbiotic relationship. Maybe we could provide some man hours during those events. And then you guys could make some donations um, or provide space for us to meet for meetings or things like that uh, a couple times a year in exchange for us coming in to help with setup or teardown. So creating something like that um, 
I thought, I mean, when I was working with you, Emily, and doing those release events, it was so nice when they would show up and be there to help set up and then come in and help tear down. Because especially tear down, you're just exhausted after being at a release party all day long. (laughs) Yes, that was a huge, huge help to those really heavy lift events. And, you know, we would send them with a bottle of wine too. So even though they were, you know, making the trip there to only be there for 30 minutes to an hour, it made a huge difference for us. And then they got to take some delicious wine home. Yeah, that's 30 minutes to an hour. But if we wouldn't have had them, we would have been there for two and a half to three hours probably without that extra help. So Yeah, especially at the end of the night when we're all just brain fried and yeah. <laughs> not being efficient. <laughs> how long how, have these, how many times have these tables been wiped down already? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I think in that, like in that same vein of release parties and stuff, what do you think are important events that all wineries or wine brands should do? Um, I would say, so figuring out the different price points is a really big factor for us. We've noticed that a lot of our lower price point events attract um, newer faces that maybe are just giving us a shot and don't haven't really engaged with our brand yet, but are curious. Uh, so more approachable um, price points as far as tickets go. And then, and then for our more established um, wine club members and consumers, they're buying tickets to, you know, $100 dinners. And obviously those events are really important for them. They're super interested in those and they've engaged with our brand enough to know that um, they can trust, you know, to pay that much for a ticket for an event at Talaya and know that it's going to be done successfully and done well. And so hitting those different price points kind of along the same lines, just establishing what events are going to be for marketing purposes versus sales versus retention. Um, And kind of outlining those as a team is really important because if you're doing all sales events, that's great. You're going to see the dollar signs, but it's not necessarily making a lasting impact on your members and getting people to engage with your brand. Sometimes it's important just to have those events where you know you're taking a loss on it or just hardly breaking even. But it's super interesting for the customer and something that they're never going to forget. Yeah, that's a really kind good of thinking, point. Yeah, kind of thinking of the next point um, or like the next returning customers and, and like um, future interactions. Uh, money, yeah, interaction, money opportunities or whatever else. Um I was thinking as you were kind of talking uh, the last couple of minutes about how there's kind of in my mind being outside of the wine world, like two different kind of events. There's kind of like the event where multiple different wineries get together and have an event. Um, for instance, my husband just went and did a photography event recently uh, called Bubble Fest here in the Willamette Valley. Haley, we got to get you over there for it. Yeah, and I already texted him today. I was like, uh, I want an invite next time. Also, yeah. it wasn't, it was yesterday. Like literally, I, I Googled it. It was yesterday. Yeah. So by it the time this so comes cool. out, it'll be like, have been a little bit in the past, but that's right. put on by Anna Me Winery, but they invite like all these different wineries to come for a for an event together. And then the other kind of event that I see is kind of that like, I'm going to call it the wine club event or some sort of like very localized or just a particular one. So 
Is there any... I'm trying to think where I'm going with this question, but <laughs> is there any, um, like, you know, like, what's the pros and cons of those different events and any differences in planning for those events? And then, like, what you get out of those two different event types? Kind of, you've mm-hmm. kind of mentioned a few of those already, but... Yeah, obviously, when you're doing events with multiple wineries, there's a huge element of just community engagement there. And... um being part of that local wine community, which is super important. The challenging side with those events is that you don't have all the control. And, you know, you, you're going to meetings where 10 people are giving their insights as to how the event <laughs> should go. And, yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, people don't show up to the meetings and you wasted your time. But, you know, so that's, it's a double-edged sword. You're, you're engaging with the community, which is awesome. You're meeting people in the industry and forging those connections. At the same time, it can be a little challenging. Um, usually, I'd say for us, those events have proven to be more about marketing and getting our name out there in that community engagement more than us seeing a ton of sales or anything like that. But definitely still worth it to do those types of events. Especially because you have that proven, like if somebody knows another winery and they get invited through that winery, they're there because they like somebody's wine (laughs) or they're engaged with somebody's brand that's a wine brand. So then to be like, oh, these are all kind of proven wine buyers almost. So sometimes those can be really great. So on the converse, like what about like the benefits of just your own? Is it just kind of what you were saying earlier of just more direct sale Um, Yeah, direct sale. Also, just it's, you know, having it be a fine-tuned machine and you kind of have all your checklists and you have control over the staff, all the staffing that's going to need to be there. And Mm -hmm. yeah, it's kind of just that control thing um, (laughs) (laughs) versus having so many hands in the pot. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It seems to me like, uh, for instance, this is like Bubble Fest, Anime is definitely like it's at their winery. So they're kind of the point person. It seems mm-hmm. like for that, having some sort of point person, that's uh, it would be really important, like you said. Right. Um, cool. A lot of the wine fests, if we're thinking about them too, like Savor Idaho will be this summer. So it's nice sometimes to not have 10 different wineries coming together to plan, but to rather have like Anime or the other wine commission, the Idaho Wine Commission saying, here's what you have to do. Here's how you register. Here's how sales are going to go. Like, if you're not okay with these 10 things, then maybe this isn't the event for you. Um, Because sometimes it's not. But sometimes, like Emily was saying, it's about supporting the industry or looking at it from a marketing perspective rather than a sales perspective. And I will put in, um, I would say, I don't know how much of your time is now spent on this, Emily, but there is a legal aspect to things. So you have to make sure, like if you want, if you're a winery owner or you're thinking about opening a winery and you want to go to your friend's farm and pour when they're doing their uh, flower fest, make sure that it's legal for you to go and do that and um, that you're within kind of your... um, you don't want to make anybody mad by not getting the right permits and things like that to go, especially off-premise and pour wine. Yeah, super important. And the last thing you want to do is put in all that time and planning and effort just to find out at the very end that legally you didn't do something right mm-hmm. you can't be there. Yeah, that's the worst. <laughs> <Bummer>. <laughs> um, so you talked a little bit about checklists 
And I would love for you to talk about how you pull off events. Because every time I worked an event with you, it was so not stressful. <laughs> and I would love to for you to give a That's glimpse. That's a huge compliment. Well, yeah. I'm glad that you felt that way because I don't feel that way. <laughs> oh, I know that that's not true. So, yeah, you do get stressed about some of the big events, but thats I don't think it's because of the planning side. I think it's because of the unknown outcome. And typically that ends up being ends up being good anyway. But what kind of like event checklists or tools do you have that make those events easy instead of stress or easy um make them not (laughs) stressful not as stressful (laughs) um so we've kind of broken down our different signature event series and have different checklists based on each of those events so that has really helped to streamline and that's everything just from like vendor communication like email templates down to like timelines, down to literally the setup items that need to be accomplished before the event can begin. Um, so now that, I mean, we, we're doing so many events, so having those just <laughs> at our fingertips has been huge um, so that you don't have to take up that brain power every single time. I um, love a good template. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, the other thing that is super helpful is doing a customer walkthrough before an event. So you're essentially pretending that you're a customer and walking through the front door and getting the whole experience. And sometimes, you know, you have to use your imagination a little bit, of course, but just, you know, every little thing done, and this can be done far in advance. It should also be done right before an event just to check those little things like, oh, that trash can's kind of unsightly and right in the middle of the event space. We should probably move that. Or, oh, like the check-in process isn't that smooth. Maybe it should be over here instead of here. And just those kinds of little things. I think that that's something that can kind of feel a little tedious and unnecessary, especially when you're weeks out from an event. But we've caught so many hiccups that way and it really has made a huge difference. You're making me feel so good right now, Emily, because I just had a big event and these were things that I felt ridiculous doing, but I did. And I'm like, yes, I nailed it. Good job. (laughs) As a non-professional event planner. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So kind of switching gears maybe a little. Um, How, when you're thinking about like some new events that you want to do, like how do you brainstorm new events? What do you, you know, come up with like for new concepts or, you know, just like suggestions maybe for people that are trying to maybe think outside of the box and and come up with new ideas and what inspires you? Um, Well, I know not everybody has the resources to make this happen, but um, the owners of Talaya have been amazing and take, take us on team retreats two times a year. And a huge component of that is brainstorming. Um, and the concept is there's no, there's no bad ideas, basically. So we throw up a piece of paper and um, it's, you know, there's a topic given and maybe it's, we need to engage more with these club members or we need to bring new faces in and what are your ideas? Everybody go. And there's someone just jotting down everything. And then we kind of sift through those ideas later on and say, what's worth keeping? What needs to go away? Um, What can we kind of poke holes in and um, explore a little bit more? 
So those retreats have been huge for, for brainstorming and coming up with new ideas. And, you know, sitting around with your team members and having wine, regardless of where you're doing it, is never a bad way to come up with some, some new ideas. Um, and yeah, I just, I think it's really amazing to see what everyone else in the industry and even outside the industry is doing. What, you know, looking at what can we take from the kind of events that breweries are putting on and how could we relate that to wine and, um, you know, what are people really interested in right now and could we ever pull that off and how and thinking of things that way. I've always wondered what you guys do on these uh, Talaya <laughs> retreats that Haley would talk about. So now I know. <laughs> a lot. Yeah, there's a that's, lot. <laughs> that's, that's one of the ways we start. And then it's like, okay, and now let's move over to the calendar. And where are we going to put these events in? Um, I would say that, that depending on the size of your organization and how flexible you are, Talaya did a great job of being flexible, but they also were a big enough team and a, and a big enough business that they knew they had to be pretty, um, uh, have forethought and planning about, especially their annual calendar. Like we can't just have no events in May just because it didn't fit into what we were thinking. Cause we don't know if the weather's going to be good or bad. Like you still have to plan things and make sure that they are up there. Will you really briefly, Emily, talk about some of the signature events that Talia, I know you've touched on a couple, but, um, I think it'd be great for um, our listeners to hear what Talia is doing. Mm -hmm. um, so we're doing, so one of them is yoga and wine. So we're partnering what? with. Um, <laughs> so fun. It's we're been for a long time too. <laughs> yeah. Years. Yeah. And just, we kind of put it on pause for a little bit, of course, with COVID. Um, and it was, seemed like it was naturally slowing down a little bit, but um, <laughs> Sorry, I'm doing yoga moves. <laughs> <laughs> Pretending she has a wine glass. <laughs> but yeah, since we've picked that event back up, it's it's been really popular. Um, and let's see, we do Talia Design, where we have a skilled artisan come in and teach you their craft. And so you spend some time learning about that while you drink wine, of course, and then you get your an opportunity to make it yourself. So that can be from, you know, succulent planters to jewelry, metal stamping jewelry to all kinds of different things. Think of it as like paint and sip, but even more. Mm -hmm. I'm telling my dad. <laughs> <laughs> so Thirsty Thursday is another one where we have live music um, Thursday nights. Um, we do Talia Bites, which is one of our more recent additions that has been hugely successful. So we have a local chef come in and create five pairings for five of our wines, and they're just little bites. So it's a really affordable event to go to as an intro to pairing wine and food. It's not a winemaker dinner. It's just a tasting. So it's a, mm -hmm. okay, let's see if this is something for us. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, those are a lot of fun ones. We're also doing, we do plenty of winemaker dinners as well that are full five course paired meals. Um, and something that Haley actually started when she was at Talaya that has been hugely helpful is when we do the annual can calendar planning, she one time brought along all these beautiful <laughs> sticky notes with her. That's not where I thought you were going with this. <laughs> yes. She brought along so many sticky notes and Sharpies and we color coded our events. And that was one of those ways that we were able to say, like, it kind of started as, okay, what's a wine club event? 
what's a retention event, what's a marketing event, what's a sales event, and color-coded those, broke those down on the calendar, and that way you can see, like, oh, the entire summer we don't have a single event for our wine club members. We need to fix that. Or all winter long we're missing sales events and we're going to be hurting. That's our slow time of the year. Like, how can we get people in and buying? And so, yeah, that, that's something we're still doing around here. That's really helpful. I'm glad to hear that Haley is still on the Sharpie game. Definitely. (laughs) Introduce passion of mine. We used to have bags of Sharpies when we were little kids. So I'm really glad to hear that's still happening. Lots and lots of colors. I'm, I'm pretty much just a black Sharpie, like traditionalist now. I don't need all the different colors, especially with kids in the house. (laughs) Not with your colorful sticky notes. No way. No. (laughs) (laughs) The other event that, um, I'm going to go ahead and toot my own horn that I helped develop while I was there were the Talia Ed series, which I think Talia is doing a great job at. It's a marketing and retention event. I, I would say it's probably both um, that you you choose different parts, kind of like we do in this podcast of things that people that are in the wine, in, or not in the wine industry, but people that are interested in wine might want to learn more about. So why is that glassware? I think you guys have a glassware class coming up. So you get to have a couple different types of Riedel glasses in front of you and taste out of them and see, you know, why your wine actually does taste better better coming out of a nice glass instead of a mug. <laughs> I love my Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle little thingies that you Wine charms. Me. I gave Ashley yes. some wine charms that are Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles so she doesn't have to forego that part of her <laughs> life completely. <laughs> um yeah, the Talia Ed classes have been huge, and we're actually having a problem right now with the class <laughs> class because we've officially sold out three dates when we were only attend- intending to do one. Yeah, so, that's yeah, so it's awesome. A, it's, it's a great problem to have. It's just while we're in the middle of racking and bottling, so we have to figure out where that's going to take place. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's so awesome. I'm so glad to hear that it's doing so well. Yeah, and all kinds of different components. Like Vineyard Ed is a huge one where we bus people out to the vineyards and do a dinner out there and walk them through the vineyards so they can see where we get our grapes and see the I'm action. coming for that. <laughs> July. Usually really it happens one. in July. Okay, <laughs> It's really hot that time of year. But otherwise, you just don't get to see the fruit out there. August is too a little too close to harvest typically, but I think we've done it in the first week or two of August. We, I still use the collective. I'm talking about Talia. <laughs> it's also in the evening though, so it starts to cool mm-hmm. down. You watch the sunset. It's beautiful. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. No, I think that the Ed series, you guys have done a great job with it and developing a couple new classes and it's been great. And that's a good idea that can, like a lot of people can take on and yeah. And- do wherever they're at in their specialties. In your winery, in your vineyard, in your mm-hmm. candle making business. Like there are probably things yeah. that people want to learn more about. <laughs> mm-hmm. Especially with wine, anything to make it more approachable for people so yeah. it's not intimidating is always mm-hmm. great. Uh, I do want to ask, I think that you guys did a great job of pivoting during COVID um, and trying to offer some different... Uh, not necessarily all virtual, but just different offerings. Some of them were virtual. Some of them were just, you know, take this home with you. There's no virtual, like, seeing our faces component. Um, So is there something that you're doing more or less of that you didn't think you would? And um, kind of what, what were those changes as well? Maybe start with what the changes were, and then what are you doing more or less of? 
So the biggest one that we started with was mini bottles. Uh, those, <laughs> so the challenge was how do we get wine to our guests who don't feel comfortable coming out and um, still give them that kind of tasting experience where you're not committing to a full bottle. You actually get to compare and taste different wines. So mini bottles were a um, huge tool for us in the beginning. Um, also virtual tastings, which kind of ties in with mini bottles. We're basically shipping those out or delivering them to people to do the virtual tasting component of that. Um, and then events really used to be the goal was how many people can we get in? Like, how can we can max we sell this it out? out? <laughs> yeah. And that has totally shifted into how can we make this happen so that everyone feels safe and where do we need to limit the ticket sales to make that, to achieve that? So uh, we're, we're really still doing all three of those things. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> mini bottles is probably the most shocking one. We definitely did not expect that to be here to stay, but um, everyone so loves a good mini bottle. <laughs> so true. It's been so much fun. Um, so yeah, they're, they're kind of a big op operation for us on the, behind the scenes because we're not, you know, sending off our wine. There's no little mini bottling machine making all of it happen. It's, no. a, lot of, it's a lot of hands-on work, but it, it's something that people love. And, and the virtual side of it too is a great way for us to still engage with people. So they're not just drinking our wine, but they get to hear our story and, um, you know, some background on the winery and how our wine's made. And yeah. Does the mini bottle idea, I'm just thinking pivoting from there because I think of mini bottles and airlines and like some airlines really like to feature local wineries in that. So maybe there's like potential in the future to be able to like partner with bigger things too as part of it. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that. That's a great idea. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Get it in that out there. Anyway, <laughs> next time I fly over to Boise, <laughs> ha, 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 I'll see if there's a local wine on the menu. <laughs> so, cool. Um, Haley, I think we're ready to wrap it up unless uh, you had any other questions. So, um, Emily, we like to kind of always leave with a open-ended question of like, what questions or topics do you want to let people know about that maybe we didn't touch on today? It's your time to say anything you want. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> Most, sometime, another way to phrase it, is there is there anything about events that you think we should have asked that we didn't? Um, I guess one thing we didn't really talk about a lot was private events and oh, how yeah. space works for private event rentals and what that does for our brand. Um, and I think that's kind of been one challenge of it is how, to, how do we engage with people that are renting the space for a bridal shower, for a wedding? How do we get them interested in the brand and not just literally the space and the view, which is always great too. But, <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> So yeah, that's a that's another big part of my job, and um, you know that looks like maybe giving members bigger discounts on the rental so that people who are already engaged with our brand are taking advantage of the space versus people who are flying in from out of town and may never come back. Um, but yeah, that's private events are another um, way that helps Talia to grow and um, keeps things interesting around here. Helps us to use the building. Uh, 
during downtime when, you know, afternoons we know on weekdays are generally going to be pretty slow in the tasting room. So if we can get a corporate meeting up in the Teton room and maybe they're going to drink some wine afterwards, great, all for it. Yeah. Are those events typically easier to manage or I'm assuming than like a super large event? You know, it really just depends on the group and the occasion. Um, I would say, yeah, usually smaller events, um, usually corporate events are going to tend to be um, easier to manage than, you know, a full-blown wedding kind of a thing. Those those can get a little intense, as most people know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Haley, did you have another question? Oh, I was just going to say, I always love coming into the winery because we 3,100 still rent space at Talaya to make our wine. And so I'll go into, you know, at 8.45 in the morning to spin our bottles. And there's only two or three Talaya employees there, but the parking lot is full because Emily's booked a, an event that's going to happen, like a meeting that's happening during the day up in, in their meeting room, which is great. Well, with that, um, I will go ahead and wrap up. Thank you everyone for listening. And thank you so much, Emily, for jumping on this conversation with us today and taking this time out of your busy day. Um, We look forward to hopefully having you on to chat more. Um, And, you know, everyone that's out there, please write us in if you have any good event ideas or good pointers or any other questions. If we are able to get Emily back on again, it would be great to pepper her with a couple of your all, all of your questions as well. So... Make sure to share this with your wine professional friends or your other friends that may be doing event planning. And we look forward to chatting with you next week. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of Whole Cluster Conversation. Music provided by Michael Johnson of Grand Falconer. Audio production provided by our friend Ukiah Bogle. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you like to listen. Ciao.